from the front lines of the green rush. This is Green Entrepreneur, where business owners talk about how they found success in cannabis and how you can too. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Green Entrepreneur Podcast. My name is John Small, and I am the editor-in-chief of Green Entrepreneur. Very excited about my guest today, Keith Villa joins us. And Keith is a pioneer in the rapidly growing market of non-alcoholic cannabis-infused beers. And Dr. Villa, he has a PhD, is a brewmaster and co-founder of Seria Brewing, which is based in Arveda, Colorado. And in 2018, Seria became the state's first THC-infused non-alcoholic craft beer. Dr. V is also the author of Brewing with Cannabis Using THC and CBD in Beer. So we've got a lot to talk about. Dr. Via, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me on, John. Yeah, it's my pleasure to be here. And hopefully we can have some fun today for your listeners. Yeah. Well, I mean, what could be better than cannabis-infused beer? I mean, that's... So talk to me a little bit about your background first, because I was very intrigued to read that you spent 32 years with Miller Coors Group, right? as a brewmaster, and you are actually one of the founders of the Blue Moon Brewing Company, or the founder of the Blue Moon Brewing Company. Yeah, I was. I, I started it uh, by myself <laughs> and uh, grew it from uh, nothing to become the biggest craft beer brand in the United States. And then I retired. And uh, I retired mainly because it was it was still fun, but it got the brand got to be so big, I was living out of a suitcase. I would go down and launch launch it in another country, Australia, Japan, Argentina, Chile. And I'd get home after being on the road back to Colorado, and I'd get a call from our retailers in Miami saying, can you please come down and do a series of beer dinners for the Publix grocery chain? Or, or I'd get a call from the Texas folks saying, can you please come down and do a, uh, a bunch of dinners and tastings for the HEB folks? And so it was, it was uh, really, really a, a hectic schedule. And so, so I retired and uh, my wife and I started a non-alcoholic beer company called Seria. And um, we had to figure out how to get cannabis into it and, and all that. <laughs> but, well, first I want to hear about Blue Moon. First of all, I drink Blue Moon beer. So I really, good job on that one. <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good beer. <laughs> well, thank you. What does a brewmaster do? Let's first explain to the audience what, what your job is. And was okay. Well, yeah. As, as a brewmaster, what you what you do is, and it really depends on the size of the brewery. If you're in a really small brewery, you're kind of a, a jack of all trades. You do everything from ordering all the raw materials, keeping track of everything that you're using, doing all the manual labor to, to move around the ingredients, do the brewing, do the packaging. It's it's all hands on and in a jack of all trades type of mentality. The bigger the brewery, the less of those. Um, don't want to say menial tasks, but those those uh, smaller tasks that don't require a PhD, I guess. You don't do as many of those things. You do more uh, strategic planning. You still do a lot of uh, the work on, on uh, formulation of the brews because you, you're hands-on with all the new recipes, getting them right to the point where people just love them, and then you release them. And then, of course, you're the kind of the figurehead of the brand. You got to get out there and do tastings and do beer dinners for the retailers or for, uh, for the public. And, um, yeah, and you just, and then you, of course you, uh, you write up the, the specifications for everything. Then you have to, when you have time, you go into the production areas and, and, um, 
just make sure everything's going well. Talk to the folks out there and thank them because at the end of the day, they're the ones who are doing a lot of that heavy lifting. And as, as the brewmaster, you know, I've already spent my time in the trenches. So, but still, I, I, I always uh, thanked the folks uh, doing all that, uh, the brewing and the heavy lifting and, and all that, because they, without them, I couldn't do what I, I did. Well, how did you get into that line of work? How does one even decide they want to be in the beer brewmaster business? Yeah, it's, it's a, well, it's kind of a long story. <laughs> I, uh, I originally was going to become a pediatrician. I went to the University of Colorado in Boulder and signed up for a degree in molecular biology. And my plan was to be there for four years. And then, uh, from that point, get into medical school. And I worked very hard to get good grades and get a um, degree in biology, molecular biology. And then I worked in the laboratories. I did a, uh, I co-authored a couple of articles as an undergrad. So I worked really, really hard. And uh, it's funny because about a month or two months before graduation, the uh, Coors Brewing Company was, was looking for someone to do research and uh, this research for them was was kind of a combination of brewing and fermentation research. And the fact that I worked in the laboratories up at, at uh, Boulder, it, it qualified me perfectly to, to work at, at uh, Coors doing research. And um, I saw that advertisement that they put up in the labs. And I thought, you know, that sounds kind of like, like a cool thing to do because I liked beer and um it just so happens that in Boulder, it's the headquarters for craft brewing in the United States. The actual headquarters is called the Brewers Association, and it's also the headquarters for home brewing, which is called the American Home Brewers Association in this same building. And they were situated right there in Boulder, of all places. And I remember a couple of years before graduating, going down on the Pearl Street Mall in Boulder, where their headquarters was. And, and I remember they had some uh, flyers they were giving out, said something like, learn how to homebrew. And, you know, these were, this was, would have been about 1982. And you see these people handing out flyers and stuff. And at first, I, you know, you think they're, they're kind of, I don't know, Jesus freaks or something. You know, just trying to get you in and all this. And, but you, you get closer and it's like, wait, this is beer. I can brew beer. And, and so I, I learned how to do that. And, uh, and it was really kind of fun. So I did that in my dorm. And I knew how to make beer as a home brewer. I did molecular biology research. And so that's, that's really what uh, kind of fascinated me about going out to Coors and checking out what this job was about. And I talked to them and they called me and said, you know, you were the most qualified out of all these, I don't know. Yeah, but they don't students. have too many pre-med <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because yeah, you can imagine that uh, students would be really interested in working in a brewery. And, and there were a lot of people who went up and talked to them, but I, I was the most qualified. And so they said they'd like to have me the day after I graduated. And so that's when I, I had to you know, go back and ask myself, you know, do I want to go to medical school and work with sick people or else work with beer? And I thought, well, I'll work with beer for one or two years to make sure I like it. And if I don't like it, I'll get right back and go to medical school. And so I, I went over to Coors and I started working there and I, it turns out I really liked it. And so I told them I was going to quit and go back to Boulder after two years and, and get my PhD in biochemistry because that, that line of work was really interesting. And so uh, they said, well, hold on. What if we send you to Belgium to get your PhD in brewing? Sure. <laughs> and so, so they sent me to Belgium and got my doctorate over there. It's funny because uh, Belgium, if, if you've never been, or maybe some of your listeners have, have been there before, but Belgium is a socialized country. And so the educational system is uh, 
basically free or very, very low charge, low cost. And so to get a PhD, every year for me, for four years, the tuition, the annual tuition ended up being approximately $98. So really cheap to get a PhD and become a beer doctor. That's a lot cheaper than I'm sure to get the MD degree to be a, to be a pediatrician in America. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. And, but it was, it was hard work. I don't, I don't want to fool anybody with that. It was, it was really, really hard because you have to write a dissertation and defend it in front of a jury of professors. My jury consisted of six professors plus one external PhD and uh, it was it was it was difficult. But once you do that, it's like you can do anything. So after that is when I went back and I convinced the folks at Coors to give me funding to start what became Blue Moon Brewing Company. And, yeah, and the rest is kind of history. because in, I guess. Yeah. So at Belgium, you you learned about wheat brews, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. They they make a bunch of different beers over there. And so, you know, Belgium is sometimes referred to as is kind of the the mecca of beer or the paradise of beer because they make so many different types or styles of beer. Germany makes quite a few historically, as does England. But Belgium just goes crazy off the deep end, making everything from sours to fruit beers and just you name it and they brew with it. And they do things that the Germans don't do or the English. They, I mean, they just are off by themselves, uh, creating all kinds of cool types of beer. And they've been doing that for hundreds of years. So it was perfect place to learn about brewing. So you did your time at Coors Miller and you did, you made this great beer, Blue Moon, and then you left to get into the THC infused beer business. Tell It seems like a kind of a radical shift, or maybe it isn't. What, what drew you to that line of, of the business? Well, I, I got to the point where I could retire. And, and as I mentioned earlier, I, I was getting tired of living out of a suitcase, just <laughs> traveling all over the place. And so I, I decided to retire and uh, I lucked out because I, I was able to be grandfathered into their retirement program. And I, I got a pension and all that other stuff that kind of these big corporations used to have. So I'm, I'm really fortunate in that respect. So I got, I got to retire and my wife and I, we said, you know, we'd like to stay in the world of beer, but I'm not sure exactly what we should do. And cannabis was just becoming legal. Well, actually, it became legal in 2012 here in Colorado. And I retired in right at the start of 2018. And so I thought, my wife and I thought, well, maybe what we can do is bring cannabis to the masses in a more socially acceptable format. So rather than smokables, you know, vape pens or, or flour, maybe we could put it into a drinkable format like beer and offer that to the masses to, to get people to drink and, and actually find out what cannabis is all about, since there are still a lot of people who have never touched it or never consumed it. And, and so so that became our... our uh, Did you have a personal experience with, with cannabis or was it more just you were seeing that it was a business opportunity or did you have like a, was there a sort of a relationship that you have with the plant? as a sort of health? Not really a health relationship because number one, it's, it's been illegal for a long time in the U.S. And, and then here in Colorado, it, it was always, uh, I mean, the cops were pretty adamant in going out and enforcing the cannabis laws for the longest time. And when I was younger, if you, if you're a person of color, you, you really could be tossed in jail for a long, long time. I mean, there are still people sitting in jail, cannabis convictions, which is absolutely crazy. You know, a plant, that offers so much uh, potential help to the human race. It's, it's, and for people just to be thrown in jail for, for partaking is just absolutely mind boggling. But, uh, but yeah, when I grew up, I, I stayed away from 
experiment because I, I didn't want to end up in jail. And um, as I grew older, I experimented with it. And, uh, and it, it turns out that the plant is not this addictive, terrible thing that so many people have come to believe over the years. And so from my perspective and my wife's, we really enjoyed the pleasant feel that you get from, from being buzzed with THC. It's very similar to alcohol with some nuances that are different, but the general feel is, is similar. This nice uh, intoxicating euphoric type of sensation. And so so that's really what, what was behind it. And we thought, you know, it would be great to make a beer with cannabis so that people can relax with it the way they do with alcohol. Because it turns out there are a lot of people who can't drink alcohol or, or don't want alcohol. And for the folks, why not offer them cannabis to, to relax and really to help heal? Because there are so many aspects of cannabis that help the human body, such as anti-inflammatory agents in cannabis, pain relief. I'm just all, I've got a laundry list of things uh, that cannabis plant helps with. So you decide to, to get into this side of the business, and was it harder than you expected it to be? It's a great idea, but was it uh, the actual process of creating THC-infused beer, which you then have to take the alcohol out of the beer, right? You can't have alcohol and THC in the beer. Was the whole process of making the beer difficult? It was really difficult. We, at first, I thought, you know, just make beer. I've been doing that all my life. Make a great beer, toss cannabis in, and away you go. But it turns out that that's illegal. <laughs> alcohol with cannabis, they have to be separate because it is for two reasons. From the federal perspective, the feds, they prohibit anything that's federally illegal from being put into an alcoholic beverage. So that means you cannot put cannabis into anything alcoholic. And then at the state level in Colorado, the uh, cannabis industry is regulated by the MED. That stands for the Marijuana Enforcement Division. And the MED specifically prohibits alcohol from being put into anything with cannabis. So from the state perspective and the federal perspective, you have to use a non-alcoholic beer because you just can't mix alcohol with cannabis. So that was the first hurdle was, was creating a great tasting non-alcoholic beer. And luckily, my schooling in Belgium was such that they taught us a lot of that stuff, which I had never used during my time with Blue Moon. Yeah, because I, I grew Blue Moon, I, invent, I created it, grew it up, and but I never created a, a a non-alcoholic version because there was no need to. But here I am with Saria and I needed to create a non-alcoholic beer. So so I got to work and created a, a line of beers that are non-alcoholic. And once I did that, then the next big hurdle was how do you put cannabis into a liquid? And it turns out that if you can extract the cannabinoids, but they exist in an oily type of format. And so if you try to put that into water or beer, which is 95% water, the oils will float. And so you figure out how to, how to get that solubilized and put into the liquid. So uh, we worked with a couple of companies and figured out how to do that. And it turns out it's not, it's not too difficult, but uh, that was the second hurdle. And then the third hurdle was creating a brand because you need, I don't care if, if you're talking about uh, jeans, t-shirts, eyeglasses. You have to have a great brand that people want and that they'll, they'll look out for your brand and buy it because the branding is what brings uh, loyalty, consumer loyalty to any type of product. So you, 
I mean, even cars, you know, people want a nice branded car, whether it's a Prius or a Ferrari, <laughs> you, know, you go for that brand. And so from that perspective, we, we decided to create our brand. And first thing was we, we looked and we saw that all the cool names for beers and cannabis things are already taken and trademarked. Or in the case of cannabis, you can't trademark stuff. We found out right away. So um, we, we looked and we said, okay, what we've got to do is, is trademark everything through our non-alcoholic beer side. And then uh, by extension, that will be used by the same products with the same Seria name, but in the cannabis, that's that trademarked everything. Oh, so that's interesting. So you, you trademarked it through your non-alcoholic business, but then you still sell it as a, as a THC infused uh, beer. Yeah. Cause otherwise the, the trademark office, they, they won't touch it. If it's, if it's anything to do with cannabis, they'll say, sorry, you know, you cannot trademark that because it's federally illegal. So, so we, we trademarked everything. And uh, yeah, I'm interested what you learned from your experience all those years with Blue Moon and creating this very successful brand, how you carried that over to your experience here now and then in the um, non-alcoholic THC infused beer. What were some of the lessons you had learned at Blue Moon that you applied to, to Saria? I guess the number one lesson is never give up because <laughs> a lot of people think Blue Moon was a huge success right from the start. But it's far from that because when I started it in 1995, the first thing I saw was that, number one, it was so foreign because in 1995, a lot of people who drank craft beer didn't even call it craft beer back then. They called it microbrewed beer. And microbrewed beer was more or less amber ales and amber lagers. Uh, beers were almost non-existent in 1995 in the American market. And so uh, I was, I guess, either dumb enough or brave enough to, to launch a Belgian-style beer as, as my flagship beer. And um, I remember people wouldn't even taste it. They would say, what in the world is that? It's brewed with what? It's brewed with oats and wheat and spiced with coriander? And you know, people just thought I was crazy. So I had to get out and do tastings and uh, just talks and dinners, pairing beer with food when that wasn't even popular back then. But I had learned how to do that in Belgium because that, that was part of their everything. They, they paired beer with food. It was just a part of life and part of culture. So I learned how to do all that. I brought that all that back. And the other thing that people don't realize is that I convinced the, the folks at Coors to give me funding to start Blue Moon, but they would not let me brew it in Golden, Colorado at the big brewery. So I had to find a place to brew Blue Moon. And so I, I found a place up in uh, upstate New York, a little town called Utica. It's a cool part of the country, which I had never been to before, but it's this it's upstate and it's near the Finger Lakes region. And it's actually cold and cool. Yeah. <laughs> in the wintertime, in summertime, it really is kind of neat. But uh, I, I brewed up there for the first couple of years. And it was it was hard to keep that brand alive because I remember, yeah, yeah, I got to use the Coors network of distributors to get into the, the retail side. But that didn't help very much because I remember getting into the Safeway chain, the Kroger chains. And what happened was they took it in and they, they canceled it after two to three months because nobody was buying it. And I was thinking, oh, man, this is going to die. You know, this whole brand is just going to die a quick, cruel death. But I, I kept at it doing tastings and I created the Orange Slice Garnish in 1997 to get people to, to really notice that brand, the the beer to, to complement all the orange peel it's brewed with and to get people to taste it. And then I created that or that uh, iconic glass, that tall, tall glass in 1998. So you did all these kind of like interesting, unique ways to kind of stand out. You persevered 
What was it that you've now done similarly with Saria? Because there are obviously, as you know, other cannabis-infused beers. So how does Saria, you know, stand out? And, and have you been thinking about similar things to do with that beer? Yeah, so so one thing I found out is that in the world of beer, and, and cannabis beer is no exception, it has to taste good. If it doesn't taste good, a lot of people aren't going to buy it. <laughs> and, um, and so, yeah, it's got to taste like beer. It has to just bottom line, it's got to taste good. So, so it's all about the flavor. So that's that's uh, that's job number one is to make sure this this product tastes good, whether it's our Belgian wine or our IPA or any of the other uh, varieties that we make. So, so it's got to taste great. Uh, number two, it has to deliver. When you say it's got whether it's got five point five percent alcohol by volume or five milligrams of THC, it's got to deliver. And the other thing is you've got to you've got to tell people what to expect. Because with uh, Blue Moon, I think people are more familiar with what a 5% alcohol will do to them. With one glass, they're not going to fall on the floor and get drunk. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they're, 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 they'll get a, a nice relaxed feeling. And same thing with five milligrams of THC. Most people are not going to fall over and be, and be couch locked for the rest of the night. They're going to get a nice relaxed feeling with five milligrams. And so you tell them what to expect. And once you do that, I think half the battle is done and they're going to be on their own. They're going to taste and start having fun with it. So, yeah, I think those are the two really critical things. And then with the stronger products like our IPA, which has 10 milligrams of THC plus 10 of CBD, you take that and you're going to get you're definitely going to get a buzz similar to having a, a real strong IPA. If you have a pint of IPA, you're going to have more of a buzz than you will with a glass of Blue Moon. So, yes, kind of that heads up, you know, this is what to expect. And I think the, the more critical thing is we tell people that there's not going to be a taste of cannabis in our beers because we use the isolates. And so because of that, we don't have cannabis terpenes that we put in. And so therefore there are no aromas or dank aromas of cannabis because we, we want to focus on the great taste of a craft beer with the effects of cannabis. And that's partly what uh, kind of differentiates us from a lot of the other uh, things that are in the marketplace. We, we have beer that tastes like beer, but there's no alcohol. The buzz you get is from THC. You mentioned that it's a similar experience, the buzz from THC and the buzz from beer. But what about the onset? Is that similar? Because I know that when I drink beer, well, I don't know. I've never measured how fast it takes me to sort of start to feel a little bit tipsy. But it feels like cannabis, because of the way you need to metabolize it, et cetera, takes a little longer. But I could be wrong. I mean, have you measured sort of the the onset between the two and if they're if they're different or similar? Right. That's, it's kind of a, a difficult question to answer because unlike an edible or smoking where you gulp it down and it's done with beer, you know, you're socializing. So you're drinking that glass and, and it takes it takes some time. But yes, if, if you were to just gulp down a whole can of our product, it would take about 15 to 25 minutes, somewhere in that range, depending on what you've, you know, how much or how recent it was since you ate and, and your tolerance level, a lot of those different things. But I would say 15 to 25 minutes, you, you'll feel it. If, if you're on an empty stomach, I would say 15 minutes, you're going to feel a buzz, which is similar, maybe a little bit longer than, than alcohol. But, uh, but it's similar. Uh, if you had a true edible, that goes through your whole digestive tract. And that can take up to two hours to feel an edible. And then with an edible, the, the big thing there is that uh, it's delta-9 THC. But by the time it goes through your whole digestive tract, at the very end, your liver will transform it into delta-11 THC, which is a more potent form. You can get uh, 
a really that's the couch lock one. Yeah. 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 You can get a pretty, pretty strong, harsh buzz with uh, Delta 11. Can you get the Delta 11 um, experience with drinking a beer or is that mainly with edibles? No, that's mainly with edibles with beer. Uh, beer goes into your system a lot faster because it doesn't really go through the digestive tract. It starts going in right away in the soft tissues of the mouth, the esophagus, uh, and then it's, it's pretty much just in the system. So it's not as fast as smoking. That is the, the fastest way to do it or dabbing. But uh, but our, our beer, you can uh, definitely get it with it's in about 15 to 25 minutes and, um, and you'll feel that buzz or that relaxation. And for us, it's uh, really is, is nice because you need the right emulsion to carry it in. And the other thing is over the last few years, us, uh, along with other beverage manufacturers in the cannabis world, have found that the cannabinoids can stick to the can liner. So Two years ago, it was a huge issue because nobody knew what was going on. You would put the THC into cans, and a couple of weeks later, you'd have half the amount. And then after that, there'd be almost no THC or, or CBD because it would be sticking to the can liner. And for those of your uh, uh, viewers who aren't familiar with cans, every aluminum can has a sprayed on liner on the inside. To isolate the beverage from the metallic taste of the aluminum uh, what Pepsi Coke beer Budweiser Coors whatever whatever it's uh, whatever package it is there's a liner and that liner is, is there to protect the liquid but it turns out that that liner is an organic material that can attract cannabinoids and it'll actually stick to that liner like like a magnet and so you really have to use a, a good carrier an emulsifier emulsion to make the cannabinoids slip off the walls so that they don't stick to those to the liner. How similar are hops with the cannabis plant? Is it a similar experience working with both? Yeah, yeah. So hops and cannabis, it turns out, come from the same plant family. It's called cannabaceae family. And really the only uh, one of the few things that differentiates uh, hops from cannabis is that hops, are a, it's called a twining plant. They, they climb in a, in a, what is that, a clockwise, direct, counterclockwise, direct, going up a, 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 bond, a, a, a kind of a rope or a, a twine. They climb up that, whereas cannabis is, is a, uh, an upright herb. So it just grows straight up and it doesn't need any support like that. It just grows, it's pretty sturdy. And, uh, and then the other thing is that for both hops and cannabis, it's the female plants that are of value for the brewer or the, the cannabis market because the female plants are the ones you want to make sure don't ever see a male because if they see a male plant, then they'll, they'll, um, uh, they'll get together and then you'll have, you won't have as, as uh, great products as, as you would otherwise. So the, the buds in the cannabis plant will be real potent. They'll be strong. They'll be really, really high quality if the males are kept out and, for hops, same thing. You'll get really nice hop cones that have great aroma, great bitterness, uh, as long as they don't see a, a male. So it's the female plants that, are, that you want for both cannabis and beer. And, um, and yeah, you, you harvest them. And it turns out that there's a lot of chemical similarities. So terpenes, a lot of the terpenes are similar in hops and cannabis. Of course, cannabinoids only exist in buds, whereas uh, there are no cannabinoids in, uh, in hop plants. 
Now, is Seria only sold right now in Colorado or can you get it in other states? It's only in Colorado, but I've traveled to California, gosh, quite a bit in the last couple of months. Uh, we're gearing up to launch. We anticipate uh, being in the California market by the end of July this month. Our uh, co-packer, we, we signed our contracts and everything, and our co-packer is in the southern part of California. So we'll start uh, in SoCal and then work our way north. and. Um, yeah, it's, it should be a really good market for us because uh, beverages do really well over there. Here in Colorado, beverages do well, but smokables are still a really big part of the market here. I don't think people here realize, or they probably realize, but they don't want to pay a lot of extra money for a low-dose product. Whereas in California, they see that uh, as absolutely fine to pay a premium price for a great-tasting, low-dose product for socializing. It's, it's like uh, if you go to a party and, and you go to socialize and you'll drink a, a beer, maybe a cocktail, maybe a glass of wine, but you don't go to a party and, and start doing shots and get smashed right away. <laughs> maybe a bachelor party, I don't know. Yeah, right, depends how old you are. Yeah, but just a, a party, you know, you just go to socialize. So by that measure, if you go to a, a party that happens to be a cannabis party, our view is you go to socialize and have fun. You don't go to sit and get completely stoned. And that's where uh, microdose products, low-dose products come in because you can have several of them over the course of an evening and uh, feel fine and then take an Uber home and, and you're great. You wake up the next morning without a hangover and, and you feel good. And that's to us, that's that's what the future is about. Right now, I, I would say that the cannabis market is similar to the alcohol market where people, maybe, maybe at the end of prohibition, when people got alcohol back after being prohibited for so long. And my guess is quite a few people people probably just drank to excess and got drunk because it was new and they wanted to, to feel that feeling of, of alcohol again. And I think that's where we are with cannabis is a lot of people are, are drinking or smoking to excess and wanting to, a, a strong reaction. California, it's been legal a long time, medically since 1996. And Illegally, it's been grown there for a long, long time. So they're, they're very familiar with the effects of cannabis. And so they're, they're more apt to search out uh, low-dose to micro-dose products for socializing. Now, Miller Coors, you worked for them for 32 years. Is there ever a thought in your mind that maybe one day they might, I don't know, become partners with you, maybe acquire Saria? I know right now it's the industry is federally illegal, right? So sometimes some of the big companies are staying away. But I mean, I've, I've read that Anheuser-Busch has invested in cannabis, uh, tea, at least CBD-infused beer, and, and Langanitas has also invested. So is the hope that maybe one day you'll be back with Miller Coors? Well, it's interesting because you're right. Molson um, Coors in Canada partnered with Hexo to form a company called Trust. And they do make Beverages, but not beer. They make a uh, kind of a seltzer-like beverage with CBD, and they make one with THC. And then uh, Anheuser-Busch is also up in Canada with Tilray, and they are researching the whole market. Uh, Lagunitas, of course, is owned by Heineken, and they, they have a product in California right now, but it's, it's top water. It's not a beer. It turns out that there are very few beers out there with cannabis because it's really difficult to make a non-alcoholic beer that tastes good. And so, so it's, um, that's one reason I believe that 
Anheuser-Busch, uh, Molson Coors, Lagunitas, they, they, uh, they don't have any beers with cannabis yet because it's just so difficult to, to make a good tasting non-alcoholic beer. So we're, we're kind of ahead of everybody. Uh, we have um, two processes for doing that. One is using a, a specialized piece of machinery to remove every bit of alcohol from the beer down to 0.0%. And then we have another patented process where we can make it without alcohol. And uh, again, it's 0.0%. So we have two ways of doing it. And yeah, it's, it's we're way ahead of everybody. So yeah, and if, if Molson Coors wanted to, uh, of course, once it's federally legal in the States, that's when you'll see all of the companies such as Molson Coors, Anheuser-Busch, who knows, even Coke and Pepsi want to really get into this business because it is going to be a big business here in the States only after federal legalization. And if they come come after us and want to talk, uh, we'll be happy to talk. But uh, for the time being, since it is federally legal, we kind of talk at a distance to, to all of these folks. All right. So if people want to find out more about your product and your book, where, where should they go? Yeah, we have a Facebook, uh, Instagram we even have a website, uh, Seria Brewing. SeriaBrewing.com is the cannabis one. Na.SeriaBrewing.com is our NA site, non-cannabis. <laughs> and then as, as, uh, as you just mentioned, I, I did write a book on, on brewing with cannabis. I've got a, a blown up cover right behind me. So it's, it's, it'll be available August 1st. If you go online and just type in uh, brewing with cannabis, uh, the cover will, will come up, which is that cover up there. And uh, in that book, I... Uh, talk about uh, a lot of things, the history of, of cannabis, the, why it became illegal, which is not because it's an addictive drug. <laughs> it's because of racism. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I talk about grow it at home. I talk about the legalities. So you make sure you're safe legally before you attempt anything. But yeah, it's easy to grow at home. I, I give tips and uh, a lot of pointers for how to grow it at home, how to harvest the buds, how to extract the cannabinoids, how to make them water soluble and put them into any beverage, beer, coffee, water, whatever you want. And then uh, I also give some uh, homebrew recipes to make seltzers, beers that you can put these uh, cannabinoids into. And uh, yeah, so it's kind of a, a nice little book to have to uh, to kind of get a, a real complete, uh, pretty complete story of, of so this, cannabis. This is for the home brewer, right? This is for somebody who might be it's for, for general reading for home brewers, even professional brewers, because I, I, I give a little bit for everybody in there. That's nice. You're giving away your trade secrets. Well, that is, I get, I talk about a lot of things without talking about the things that, that we use <laughs> to make our beers really great. <laughs> right. Exactly. So not totally giving away your trade secrets. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Keith, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. This has been so interesting and I'm really now I'm excited that you're coming to California because I'm in Los Angeles and I'm, and I definitely want to have a can. <laughs> Or a glass, oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, we're going to be really excited to get out there and uh, do some tastings in the market. Actually, with cannabis, you can't do tastings of cannabis products, which is why we have our NA products. So you can taste those to get a feel for what the beer tastes like. You could buy your cannabis beer and then go home and, and drink it. <laughs> Keith Via, thank you, and best of luck with the expanding of Saria and the book. Well, thank you, John. Yeah, thanks a whole bunch. Uh, from my perspective, it's just so great to, to have this feeling of being past the pandemic and not having a mask. And uh, oh, gosh, it's just it's, it's almost like a feeling of freedom. And, and what better way to feel free than with a cannabis beer in this hand? And who knows, maybe a joint in this hand? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the government says you can't mix them, but <laughs> I don't know <laughs> who says you can in your own time. OK, anyway, thank you so much. I'll take care. 
Thanks, John. You have a great day. And uh, thank you very much. I hope your viewers enjoy it. Okay. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Green Entrepreneur Podcast. To find out more about Green Entrepreneur, you can go to greenentrepreneur.com or check out our magazine on newsstands everywhere. Check out our Instagram at Green Entrepreneur. We're also on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and all other social media feeds. If you like this podcast and you'd like to hear more from me, Jonathan Small, check out my other podcast, Write About Now, that's W-R-I-T-E, to get some in-depth interviews into the lives and stories of successful writers, how they got there, what they learned, and what you need to succeed. That's writeaboutnowmedia.com. Until next episode, we'll THC you later. Thank you.